Say Something's Girl Talk, a place for women to hear and share an encouraging word. Next up, Melanie Shankel, blogger and podcaster, New York Times bestselling author, shares a little bit from her new book, Everyday Holy, offering us some great insight on contentment, especially during the hectic days of life. Thanks for joining the conversation. Here we go. But I am so happy to be here. I've been, I've laughed about having a teenager because I do love this stage and I tell everybody like this I know people told me to dread having a teenager, but I really love having a 14-year-old. It's so fun. I mean, she can make her own sandwich, and she can do her own stuff, and I don't have to worry, but, like, it's just fun to see their personality and who she is and what's important to her and all of that stuff, and so I've really enjoyed that, Um, but I also think there are things about having a teenager. Like I told my husband, I said, do you know why God sent Jesus to earth as a baby? I said, because if he had waited till he was a teenager, Jesus would still be on a couch somewhere going like, oh, did you mean go now? Like, that's like my whole, did you mean, oh, you meant right now? I'm like, yeah, now. I meant go now. It's my whole life. But what I wanted to really talk about tonight, just as Kay was talking about, just as we're going into this April and May, which if y'all are like me, it's just crazy town. Like you really take a deep breath and go, here we go. Because after spring break is over, you just know it's like fast track and you're going to look up and it's May and there's going to be 17 homeroom parties and 16 end of the year sports banquets and all of that stuff. And so I just wanted us to take a deep breath, some breathing room. And to really think about um, just one of, to me, what I feel like is my biggest struggle um, as a woman and what I think a lot of us struggle with, and it's just contentment. It's just finding that peace and that contentment. And I think it's so hard for us because last year it was right before Mother's Day and I was driving in my car and, you know, like I said, May, you're on edge a little bit anyway because you've got a whole list of things that you're going to do that your family is going to think magically happened. And so I was driving in the car, and an ad came on the radio, and it said, Husbands, give your wife what she really wants for Mother's Day. And so I turned it up, because I was like, I want to know. What do I really want? I'm so intrigued. What do I really want for Mother's Day? And it was like, give her the gift of liposuction and Botox. And first of all, I was like, how dare you, radio announcer man? And secondly, I was like, it's not necessarily a bad gift. Uh, I'll take a little Botox. I'm just saying, I'm not opposed to it. But it just felt like it, it, it plays into everything we say. They would never say, give your husband what he really wants for Father's Day. A tummy tuck and maybe something to help his wrinkles on his face, maybe some hair dye because he's gray. You just wouldn't have that. But with women, it's that assumption of here's what you really want. We're going to tell you how to look perfect, and this is what you need, and we're going to buy into this thing that we're all supposed to have it all together all the time. And I thought the world tells us right now that we have to have it all, and we have to be it all, and we have to achieve it all, and we have to do it while we're a size four and raising kids that speak three languages (laughs) and are all in GT classes and all, you know, have it all together and they play all these sports and they're the best at all the sports and all of that stuff. It's like our houses, all of a sudden we have Pinterest, so we know that there's like a decorating style style called like vintage industrial train station. We didn't used to know that. I mean, like, our moms used to go to, like, Star Furniture and be like, I'll take that room. Like, I just, whatever. And now we're supposed to, like, thoughtfully, like, piece stuff out and find things. And it's so much pressure. 
Our dinners have to be clean and healthy. We can't just do, I mean, TV dinners, you know, that's not even acceptable anymore. You can't admit to that. If you put a Lunchable in your kid's lunchbox, you're like trying to like hide it so people can't see what it really is. It's a cheese and cracker plate. It's just whatever. But our Instagram accounts, I mean, we see it. We beautifully filter everything. We have to make everything look great. and Everything has to look perfect. And we think that if we don't Instagram these moments and we don't have the hot chocolate bar and we don't play the board games, that our kids are going to end up in therapy wondering why their life isn't in an Instagram book like their friend's life is. I just think that we are a generation who has never worked harder to have it all and to be it all and to do it all and still gone to bed most nights wondering if we're enough. That we still go to bed going, well, I should have done this or I should have done that or I should have done that or these are the ways that I'm failing. And I think the truth is, is when you look back, that's so much pressure that we've put on ourselves because we've never had so many different ways to compare ourselves as we do now. Like in the 70s, like the only way my mom knew what the other moms were doing is they were all like driving their station wagons, like cracking their windows to let their cigarette smoke, like filter out. And that was like good parenting. We were all rolling around in the back. Nobody cared, you know, and you'd like honk and then they'd go home and play bridge and they'd like drink gin in the afternoon. Nobody cared. We all turned out fine. We're here, you know. And I, <laughs> but I think we worry so much. And to me, what I've learned is I'm like, first of all, we spent way too much time going to the zoo when my daughter was little. She doesn't remember the zoo. I hate the zoo. I think the zoo is disgusting. It smells bad. But you put all this pressure because that's what you're supposed to do. You have like a kid, so you're supposed to take them to the zoo and you're supposed to do all this stuff and you've got to sprinkle glitter to show that the tooth fairy came. And guess what? Childhood is magical enough without us killing ourselves to try to make it magical. You know what's magical? You get three months off in the summer. That's magical. <laughs> Welcome to the magic. But we worry about all that and we worry about fulfilling God's big plan for our lives. And when I wrote Church of the Small Things, and it really came out of the place where God was really working in my life at the time, which is what if God's big plan for your life is for you to love your kids and for you to love your neighbor and for you to be involved in your community and for you to be a good friend, and that's it. That we don't have to all be on some big stage and we don't all have to be out changing the world because the best way to change our world is in the walls of our house. If we're dialing into our kids, if we're creating breathing room, if we're giving our kids of ourselves and they're seeing us be healthy in our relationship with the Lord and in our relationship with ourselves, and that we aren't sacrificing who we are to constantly do and be something that we never were created to be, that's how we create kids that are going to go out and change the world. That's how you change your world. But I think our thing about being discontent and feeling like we aren't enough, it's so universal because I think it doesn't matter if you talk to women who are single, married, in college, in high school, you know, who are in their 50s, it doesn't matter. We all struggle with it. We all struggle because it's in our human heart. And I read this article a while back and it said that essentially from the time a woman turns 13 until she turns 40, that it's downhill in terms of her contentment. 
that it's all downhill, that the age of 13 is the age that you really begin to be aware of what other people have and what other people are doing and what you're good at or what they're good at and where you're failing. And it's a slow and steady decline. And I'm going to tell you the worst news tonight, which be prepared to want to go drink after this, um, <laughs> that apparently age 74 is the year that you have the best chance of being content. <laughs> 74. Now, I have my own theory that it's by the time you get to 74, maybe you don't have to exercise anymore. So I'm like, that would make me content. I'd be like, whoo, I'm done. Bring on the donuts. I've, I had 74 good years. Um, but I think that our struggle with being content goes back to, or at least mine does, is to my trust in God. Do I trust God to give me everything that I need? Do I trust God to be everything that I need? Do I trust God to come into my life and make me the wife and the mom and the friend and all of that that I'm supposed to be? Because I think so much our discontent isn't necessarily over our specific circumstances as it is that we're trusting that God is going to be over those circumstances and that he's going to take care of those circumstances. And that's why our discontentment surfaces in all the ways it does. Because I think we struggle so much with trusting and believing that God really has the best for us. Because I think we can look at somebody else's life and go, I think she got my best. That looks better to me. And the thing is, is somewhere somebody's looking at you going, she has my best. Because they're all looking and comparing. And the thing is, is all we're seeing are other people's outsides and we know our insides. And we know all the ways we fail and all the ways we struggle and all the things that we have a hard time with. Because I know I do it where I'm like, God, I know that you will totally protect Caroline. I know that you will take care of her, but I would really like to wrap her in bubble wrap, and I would prefer for her to just live in my house forever. So that would be a great plan. That would be weird. That would make her a weird kid. But <laughs> that's what I would like. God, I know that you're going to help us financially. I know you're going to provide. I know you're going to take care. But just in case, I'm going to stay up all night stressing over what we owe the IRS this year. I'm going to sit and worry and stew and crunch numbers. It's just what we do. And at the heart of every sin, at the heart of our discontent, is the failure to believe that everything we need, we already possess in Jesus Christ. Our failure to believe that everything we need, everything we are supposed to be or do or achieve, everything about our marriage, everything about our parenting, we already possess in Jesus Christ. We already have it. And just because there are times, because let's be honest, if we went around this room, all of us could say there were times that none of this looks the way I thought it was going to look. Some of that is for the better because I would probably be married to George Michael, God rest his soul. <laughs> and I would be best friends with Madonna, had my eighth grade version of my life come true. And really both of those things would have been bad life choices. So that worked out. <laughs> But the thing is, as a mom of a daughter, and the way I think that God views me, is it's the things that don't work out, it's the hard times, it's the struggles, it's, I tell Caroline this all the time, I'm like, I hate the character building weeks, they're the worst. But guess what you have to have? Character building weeks. You have to have character building seasons because those become the stepstones to how big God is and how he's going to come through for you. And those will be the times that you'll look back on and go, God, I can't see you in this, but I remember that you did this. And so I'm going to trust that you're going to carry me through this new challenge, this new thing, that you're going to help me get through this new season. I'm going to trust in that.
It's seeing the whole big picture of what God can do. And so it was while I was kind of in the midst of this struggle, I was reading through my Bible one day and I came to Zechariah and I knew after I read it that God had led me to it because Zechariah is one of those books of the Bible because I didn't go to DTS where I'm kind of like, is that a real book of the Bible? Like is Zechariah one of those like that I kind of think it's a book because it sounds like it, but it's really not, but it is. It's a real, it's a legitimate book of the Bible. Zechariah, chapter two, four through five. And Zachariah is talking, and he says, And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of the people and the livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory in her midst. And in that moment, I felt God say to me, you are so busy measuring your life. You are so busy measuring your city that you don't know that what I am saying to you is I will build your life, I will build your city so big that walls can't contain it. I will be there. I will be the glory in your midst, and you can quit measuring. And I will give you a peace and a contentment that won't cause you to have to put up these walls of protection or to be afraid to be vulnerable. He will be our protection. He will be the wall of fire around us. And our city is big enough because he is big enough. And that's all that matters no matter what it looks like to us. And in the meantime, we're sitting around with our sad little measuring tapes, just trying to measure, does this look good? Do I look as good as this? Does my life look good? Do my kids have a quiet time? No, they don't. Some days, when she's in trouble. um, I'm going to go read my Bible for a while, Mom. Um, But I just thought about that, and I was like, as women, what if we quit building walls around ourselves? Because I think that's what we do, is we build these walls because we decide I'm not going to let anybody see the real thing. And it's so easy to do that because we have Instagram and we have all this stuff, and we can put on Facebook like, you know, my husband's my best friend and we're going to Barbados. And you're like, great, I'm so happy for you. Um, I told my husband that I would really like to go to Napa um, for our 20-year anniversary. And his exact, we live in San Antonio, by the way. That's important. He said, our back porch is pretty much like Napa. And I'm like, no, but not one time has anybody ever said, you know what's like Napa is San Antonio? I mean, that's not even, you can't even get that to catch on. Guess what's the new Napa? No, it's hot. But I thought, what happens if as women we quit building walls around ourselves and we let others see who we really are? We let others see what we really struggle with and what we're really afraid of. I love the show. Some of y'all probably watch it. This is us on TV. And there was an episode this week and Randall and Beth who are married, they played this game and I was like, that's the best game ever. I want to play that game where they're both afraid of something and you don't want to say it, but they would be like, okay, quick, worst case scenario. And they go, they just like out with it. Here's what I'm the most afraid of. Because the thing is, is once we speak some of that stuff out loud, it loses its power. Because when you say it out loud to another woman or to another person, it doesn't matter. It loses its power because sometimes you can hear how ridiculous it sounds. Where you're like, well, that's bizarre. But it helps 
And when we say that, then it gives somebody else the courage to say, okay, I'm struggling too. My kids are struggling too. My marriage is struggling too. I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. But all of a sudden, we're not alone in that. And so it helps us all take a deep breath and go, okay, I may feel a little crazy, but so does everybody else. When we speak those things out loud, they lose their power and they help us make real connections. And I think those real connections help stop the comparison and they help us all take a deep breath and go, okay, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. This past week, Caroline uh, plays soccer for the school and there was some soccer drama. Um, and it was kind of going on, and so I'm trying to, like, talk her through it because, you know, like life coach. I'm like, so here's what you need to do and blah, blah, blah. And so, um, so what I had told her a few years ago when she was going through some stuff, I said, here's what you need to know, babe. I said, the rarest flower blooms in adversity. And she was like, is that from Mulan? <laughs> and I was like, dang, that is from Mulan. I didn't, like, I didn't even, I thought it was so profound. I was like, that's just from a Disney. I just straight ripped off a Disney movie. So anyway, so she's older and smarter now. So thankfully, the Lord was good to me. And he gave me a verse. And I'm going to kind of wrap up with this. And it's Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. And it says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. And what I love about that verse when you read it, and to me, I guess maybe as I'm getting older and you live more life, here's what it says. Drought is going to come. It is going to get hot. Hard times are going to come. Character building weeks are going to happen. Insecurities are going to happen. Discontentment's going to happen because that's the human experience. Those things are all real. But what he's promising us in that verse is the one who trusts in the Lord. When our confidence is in him, when our security is in him, when our contentment is in him, when the very core of who we are is rooted deep in him, that it's not going to matter because we're going to remain rooted, remain rooted in our source and we're going to stay secure and we're going to continue to bear fruit in spite of all of that in spite of the heat and in spite of the drought, because we stay grounded and rooted in the very source of who we are and what he created us to be. And so just as we walk through this season, just to remember that he has given us, he has made us a city without walls, that he is the glory in our midst, and that we are enough because he is enough. I'm going to close this in prayer.